Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. The book of James speaks to how we might live as faithful followers. The passages contain important teachings which inform us how to incorporate the Christian way of being into our life. Our passage today looks at how we should seek God's wisdom in the world around us. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 3, verse 13, through chapter 4, verse 8. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? but he gives us more grace. This is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, you know our needs before we ask. You know what we brought in with us when we came to worship today. So let us lay those burdens down and let us just listen. Let us just listen for what you would have us do today. And as we listen, O Lord, transform our hearts so that we would leave this place not just hearers of your word, but as a changed people to go forth and to do your word. 
In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. So a friend of mine sent me a picture that he had found on the internet where everything that's true and real exists. So just bear with me on this. Uh, so this picture, it starts, it's got a heading at the top. And the heading at the top says, the two qualities in life, the two qualities in life are patience and wisdom. The two qualities in life you need to have are patience and wisdom. So then you pan down from the top bar where these words are written, and there is a German short-haired pointer, and he's staring intently at his food dish. He's sitting but staring intently at his food dish. And so then you gaze further down to where the food dish is, and right there in the foreground, the food dish full of all kinds of kibble, and there is a skunk eating out of it. Patience and wisdom. So the dog looks happy like he knows exactly that he wants to eat his food and he's really concerned about it. But it's as if he's got some innate design or some innate conversation in his head like, yeah, don't go there, buddy. Just let the skunk eat. There'll be plenty for you later. And I think sometimes when looking at that picture, I think there's a lot of truth in that for us is that sometimes we want something so intently that we think that's what we want and fail to realize that if we went for it, sometimes things bad just might happen. Or that maybe what we think we want so much is not really what we need. And that's where patience and wisdom enter in for us. Sometimes we think we know what's best for us and yet we fail to realize that we have a God in heaven who truly knows what is best for us. And if we're just patient, if we just seek what's God's wisdom for us and for our lives, what we really want or what we really should do might indeed be something different. So as we look at the passage that Joanna just read out of the book of James, we find that there is this tension point that exists in the Roman world. It exists in the Greco-Roman society. There were these two forms of wisdom. There was earthly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom. And so James is writing to the people kind of reminding them of this and helping them understand that what you really want to aspire to is, of course, heavenly wisdom. But earthly wisdom starts out with this idea that we have, that we're wise and we know how to do things. You have a cleverness, a knack for how to succeed, for how to make money, to how to get to head, to how to have it all, if you will. And sometimes that knack is just a certain skill set and a certain bit of luck. Other times it's knowing where the loopholes are or how to sort of swindle each other out so that you get to be first and you get to win. He said that's that, it is that, uh, it's that wisdom that breeds jealousy, that gets you to wanting and envy, that wants to have other people's stuff. It's that idea that the grass is always greener. And then there's heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom, which is about a, the contentment of what God provides for each of us each and every day. It says there in verse 17, I'm talking about the heavenly wisdom that is pure and peaceful, gentle and obedient. The wisdom in which we find ourselves content with what God has provided. See, James is writing to help those people and us as readers here in the 21st century understand that if we want to find happiness and contentment in life, we've got to re-aim and refocus our priorities. 
See, it's important for us because I think we often think that we're going to find happiness by sort of looking for love, if you will, in all the wrong places. See, we tend to want a quest to keep up with the Joneses. We think to ourselves, you know, if we just had this or if we had that, I mean, think when was the last time you uttered to yourself something along the lines of this? If I just had fill in the blank, I'd be happy. If I just had fill in the blank, all would be perfect. But see, that kind of jealousy, that kind of envy takes our eyes off what matters the most. It breeds that disorder that James was talking about, because what does it always leave us? Wanting more, right? I mean, when you think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence and you get that field and you hop into it and you sort of walk around it, you kind of like it for a while. It's kind of great and wonderful. And then you look a little further to the horizon, right? And somebody else has a greener field. The grass is greener somewhere else. And there's that temptation. And time and time again, as we quest for those things, that earthly wisdom, we find our lives temporarily sort of improved and sort of happier. And then that sort of fades with the sunset. See, James is trying to encourage us to aim higher to seek God's wisdom because in that, we find that true happiness. In God's wisdom, we find the happiness that God wants for each of us, for you and for me today. And I think that happiness is not in the things of this world. It's not in what the marketing departments of every company says that we should have or want to have. I think what it really is, the happiness that God wants for you and for me comes from three things. It comes from solid relationships with other people. It comes from a life in which we realize that if we help others, if we provide for the good and for the well-being of the world around us, then life has a true, different, and better meaning. And it comes from a deep, abiding relationship with our God in heaven. See, it's those three things. Relationships with other human beings the idea that we give and we turn our time and our energies to help improve others and to help improve the world around us and that deep abiding relationship with God. I think when we have those three things, we find that wisdom, that heavenly happiness that God wants for each of us. I think of this idea of happiness rooted in good relationships Often we try to imagine what that would look like and we kind of get caught up in sort of the shiny objects of life around us. Uh, A few years back, I was on a mission trip to Jamaica and we were working on a church and we were in the interior of Jamaica in what I would call real Jamaica. Not the Jamaica that you see at the resorts on the coast, not the Jamaica that they advertise on the, the travel magazines. This is real Jamaica, real human beings living day in and day out, not in a fantasy land, but in their land. And so you can imagine you got, it's out in the mountainous region it's jungly, it's kind of, it's the bush, if you will. And so there's a school on, on one part of this little hill, and then there's a church. We were working on the church. And one day the principal of the school came to me and said, you ought to come down and take a look at our school. And I'm thinking to myself, you've seen one school, you've seen them all, right? A little bit of truth to that, but yet it was interesting. So I thought, well, what the heck, I'll, I'll go. And so the day that they decided to do some heavy mixing of concrete on the ground sounded like a perfect day for me to go down the hill. You got me, don't you? So I went down the hill. Don't worry, I mixed too. But as I'm there, I'm sitting there looking around the classroom. They don't have, you know, shiny desks made of steel and melamine and other, and other things. They've got hand-cut desks. 
They've taken trees that they've cut down, they've lumbered the desks themselves, and they've built these desks, different members of the community. So each one is kind of unique. They sort of have a pattern, but they have imperfections. Kind of like us a little bit. We kind of all look the same, but we have our own uniqueness, our own qualities. We're looking at these desks. I look around the classroom. They've got a chalkboard rather than whiteboards or smart boards. They've got maps on the wall, though. They've got the history of Jamaica, the history of the world. The teacher comes in and she writes the lessons on the board and she says, just wait till the students get here. You'll love it. Sure enough, as it gets closer to school starting, the kids start to come in from all parts of the valley. They're coming up the hill, down the hill, out of the jungle, if you will, and they're coming smartly dressed in their uniforms. And they're just like our kids, pushing on each other, joking with each other, talking to each other, just happy and glad to be together. There's still a few minutes before school begins and they go out to the playground, which doesn't have elaborate jungle gyms. Instead, it's just a flat place in the schoolyard worn bare of any vegetation. It is a brown brick. And some student gets a soccer ball out and a game of soccer ensues and it's a fun game, it's a friendly game, unlike most soccer games which are highly charged and highly competitive. And the students come in and there's this recitation, you know, good morning Mrs. So-and-so, we're glad to see you, all of this. And as I drifted back up the hill to do my work, I pondered all of that. And at the end of the day, I watched the schoolhouse empty and the students walk side by side, going down the road and on the paths and talking to each other again, just like our students do. And it was in that moment that I realized their schools are very similar and yet very different to ours. Their lifestyle is very similar and yet very different to ours. But the one thing they could count on was they had friends. And that's what mattered the most. Real relationships, where you found people that you loved spending your time with and you sort of hated when your roads passed, when their paths parted at the end of the day and they had to return to their homes and some on this side of the valley and some on the others. But worry not, I'll see you tomorrow morning. I'll meet you right here. Those real relationships. See, I think it's in those kind of relationships that we find the happiness that God wants for our lives. We find people that we can call and they'll do anything for us. They will be glad to check our garage door to make sure that we pulled it down before we left on our vacation because we're halfway to Timbuktu and we thought, did I close the garage door or not? Or somebody that will cheer you on when you've got a big, a big presentation or an important job interview. Or someone that might cry with you when you experience sadness or loss. Or how about that friend that you know, that one friend that will get on an airplane in the middle of the night and fly halfway across the country because you called them up and said, I hate to wake you, but this has happened. Or those friends that you have kept up with your whole lives, and sometimes it might be months before you see each other again, but you pick up right where you left off. See, my friends, I think what God is calling for us and what God wants for us are those kinds of relationships. Because we were meant to be in community. We were meant to lean on each other, meant to love each other and be together. And it's when we have those relationships, we find what God really wants for us. A ready-made support system of like-minded children of God. But happiness is not just rooted in relationships with each other. It's also rooted in how we live our lives. 
It's rooted in how we find and share what God has given to us. See, I think what God really wants for us is to find the joy in taking our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and to put them forth in life for the benefit of others, for all of each other, for all of God's kingdom. Where we're taking our time and we're looking around and we're saying, what can I do to make the world a better place? How can I use me to look out for the well-being and the welfare of others? Maybe it's as simple as random acts of kindness where you leave notes for coworkers or you walk down the street and you see the parking meter's about to expire and you drop a quarter in it for someone. Or maybe it's something much bigger where you reach out and you really want to do something nice for someone. Why? Because they just need it today. You don't need the thanks. You don't need the accolades. You just did it because it was something nice to do. I think this week of what the devastation that we've seen down in the eastern part of our state we were glued to the TV all last weekend wondering what was happening. We've watched the floodwaters rise this week, hearing that some of them only crested just yesterday. And so there's still whole segments of our state that have not seen their homes for a couple of weeks now. Don't know whether it's still there, what it looks like, what might be possible. Will there be anything to go back to? And we're moved by that and we see our school children, we see our organizations, we see our church gathering together flood supplies, wanting to go down east and help. But we even see people coming from far away as Louisiana, the Cajun Navy hitching their boats up and driving up the interstate, bringing their own supplies because they've got the flat bottom boats and the airboats that can negotiate and navigate swamps and farmland and highways that are now waterways because they have the ability and the desire to help people. And then there are people like Clarence Jordan. Clarence was a businessman, highly successful a few years ago. He, he was coming home every night and sort of watching the market, seeing what the ticker tape said and trying to figure out whether he was up or down for the day, up or down for the day. And this went on for months, for years, and he kept getting more and more depressed, thinking there's got to be more to life than coming in and finding out whether I've made it or I've lost it or I've made it or I lost it. And he was lamenting this to one of his friends one day. He said, I just wish there was more to life than just this. And his friend started laughing. He goes, there is. He says, Clarence, there's so much more to life. He said, come spend some time with me. Take a break, take a sabbatical, come spend some time with me and I'll show you. And so Clarence Jordan goes down to his friend's place in South Georgia, gets to know him a little bit, spend some time with him, see this group of people who are living together, much like the Acts 2 community in the early church, where they were living for each other, making sure that everyone had food, everyone had need and shelter, working together. And they began to talk and he began to dream and he said, you know, everyone should have a decent, simple, affordable house, shouldn't they? And they said, yeah. Clarence came back and he sold it all. He sold it all, moved his family down to South Georgia and got completely out of that rat race of figuring out whether he was up or whether he was down. And he worked with his friends and they started Habitat for Humanity. All because he wanted to find happiness in life. Happiness, trying to find a way to take the productivity and the blessings and the goodness, his skills, his talents, and his abilities to improve the welfare and the common good of God's children. See, if we do that, if we take the relationships that we have with each other and we take our just very innate desires and we start to care for others 
We started doing it in a selfless way, not for our own gain, but just to care for others. We find a deeper happiness to life than we've ever experienced. And that, my friends, is what God wants for us. But all of that happiness has to be rooted in one place. The happiness that God wants from us to the deep happiness that God wants in our souls has to be rooted in a relationship with God. You and I are blessed because we have a God in heaven that created us just as we are, created us and wants so much for us. We have that common identity because it comes from God. We are God's blessed children. And here's the best part. God loves us for just who we are, just as we are. Some of us have gifts and skills. We can sing and we can play instruments and others of us can't carry a tune in a bucket and that's okay with God. Some of us have an ability to do amazing things with our hands and some of us don't give us a tool because we're dangerous to ourselves and others. That's okay with God. Because what God really wants is for us to understand that you are good enough just as you are because we are God's children, plain and simple. But we take that and then we listen to what God calls for us. God calls us to live above the standards of our world. God calls for us to live a higher calling because God in heaven believes that we can. And that, my friends, is something to aspire to. To live above what this world says we should be, but to be even better than that. And how do we do that? We do it by spending time with God, by praying, by reading scriptures, by listening in the silence, looking for where God might be calling us to be active and to be involved in life, but better yet, just by simply seeking God everywhere around us. The Russian author Leo Tolstoy tells a story that as he was getting older, he was beginning to be more depressed. He thought there's gotta be more to life than what I've lived and more than what I'm doing, more than just writing and doing and writing and going through the motions. There's got to be more to life. And as he got older and getting closer to the end, as he saw it, he thought, man, this has got to be more to the world than just taking in and breathing out air. So he one day decided to get himself up off the couch and get out of his funk and he decided just to go take a walk to get out of the house and to see what there was to see. And this time and time again, as he did it, he began to realize, he began to think of God. And he's not really sure why he was thinking of God, but he started to think, every time I begin to think of God, the fog, the funk of my life lifts and goes away. And he couldn't understand why, so he took longer walks and looked around and tried to figure out why was he looking around and thinking of God that everything began to improve. And it was then that he realized. And he wrote, he said, God, it's when I realized that God is everywhere around me. God is in what I see in creation. God is what I see in my neighbors. God is what I see in the people that we meet. God is all around me and I cannot escape God. And that's a good thing. He said, that is when I realized that God gives my life meaning. Well, guess what, friends? The relationship that God wants with us gives our life new meaning. We realize that we have got a God in heaven who created us, who redeemed us, who sustains us, who loves us so very much to send his only son to die on the cross for us. Then that means our life has to have new meaning. 
more than just going through the motions of breathing in and breathing out, but really living life to its fullest. That's when we realize the relationship that we have with God brings us true and wonderful happiness. So if we're honest with ourselves, our life is not always easy, is it? I mean, let's be face, let's be honest with each other. We're competitive. How many of us like to lose? None of us, right? We all like to win. We all want all the stuff. And here's the best part. The world sort of plays into that. We don't like to lose. We want to win. And the world encourages that. The marketing departments, they want us to get it all. I mean, look at the slogans they have. You can have it your way. Just do it. It's all about you. The marketing departments want us to believe that it's all about us, and yet that's not what really makes us happy, is it? Because the more we have, the more we want, and the more we think that our happiness will be in the next new and best and greatest shiny object. I mean, when there's version 2.0, 3.0, don't you have 4.0 yet? Come on. Life 1.0 with God is just good enough because God provides all that we need. And so when we're tempted to jump in, to seize the bowl that's in front of us, no matter who's already there first thing, and that we can bump them out of the way because we think we know what's best, if we will just take a step back and be patient and seek God's wisdom, we just might hear God chuckle and go, oh, no, no, no. Be patient. My happiness the happiness that I want for you, that's what's best. And if we would just listen to that, we would realize that it comes from our relationships with each other, with the very people in this room, the very people in our lives, the very people that matter most to us. We're in those deep and heavy relationships. That's when we're happiest. We invest in those, we pour our time and energy into those, that's when we're happiness. That our happiness comes when we work for the benefit of others, not just each other, but for the world around us. That's when we are happiest. And we lean on our God in heaven and we find ways to grow closer. We find ways to build God's good love in everything that we do with each other. That's when we're happiest. And that's when we find the happiness, the wisdom that God wants for the world in which we live. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.